Are you ready for another round? Welcome back to Round Rant, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Damiani, who is the lead singer of the band Don Broco. Rob, so ever since I, I saw you at Mad Cool, which was two summers ago now, it seems like quite a lifetime, we've been looking to get this done, so I'm delighted to, to finally have the, the opportunity to chat to you. But before we get into the nitty gritty, how is all with you and your life at the moment? Yeah, good. Thanks. It's been yeah, crazy busy. Um, yeah, a, a busy few years. A very busy year this year. We just got back from our uh, US headline run, um, and we've had about sort of yeah, we've got two weeks now before we get going on our on our next uh, UK jaunt. And it's always you always think you got all this time, and then it you sort of by the time you're back and you've tried to. Sort of wind down from the from the tour before and done all the sort of normal home things that you have to do. It's suddenly like, how yeah. is this? How is this next tour already happening? So yeah, frantically rushing around at the minute because um, this next one starts in a week, and um, yeah, there's just still so much to to get ready for that. But yeah, apart from that, not too bad. Good. good. Well, it's always the case. Like you get your big america tour done then you're back to the home comforts and then you're doing your home tour and hopefully most people tend to do australia in the new year but hopefully maybe a few months to decompress before the festival comes up but yeah no we've actually got after this we are we are done for a while so we're um yeah we did uh australia at the start of this year so this will be like the final thing of of this album cycle really you know and we've been going since um yeah just you know just after the pandemic so pretty non-stop so this will be the final thing then we can sort of yeah get home grab a couple of weeks chill before we uh uh over christmas and then we start the next record so i mean i say chill it probably you know We'll still be mad just trying to... It'll be the next yeah. deadline of the next album that we do, but at least we'll be at home and having, you know, to sleep in our own beds and stuff, um, which we're looking forward yeah. to. I'm just going to uh, turn, as I mentioned, I can, can work it out on the laptop, so I'm going to turn my phone off because I'm getting WhatsApps come through. I'm just going to put it on a... I don't know if you can hear the vibration. I can hear that one. Yeah, let me just try and uh, get me on Do Not Disturb. There we go. Happy days. I've got a creaky, creaky chair here. I've just <laughs> noticed. Can you hear that? You're that good. Okay? You're good. Okay. And yeah, so as you were saying, like the last year or so has been exceptionally busy for you guys. But I, I always like going back to like the day one of artists and like what got them inspired. I always say like I, I attempted to be in a band. It didn't work out. Uh, I don't sound like a, a David Brent sob, sob story here, but like I, I always, I always, <laughs> always remember what like gravitated towards making me like pick up guitar. And that was seeing Blink-182 on Kerrang! in like 2002 for the first time. And that led me to learn mm. the guitar and stuff like that. And I know on like other interviews, you've talked about like you used to be in a choir when you were younger, but like was it a 
a specific song? Was it someone within the family, a friend? Like what got you into music at like the very first stage? Yeah, I guess the, my first like memory of like sort of, I just, yeah, loving a song or loving a, an album would have been like, uh, I'm actually at my parents' house now. I'm staying there. Um, they live just down the road from where we practice. So it was, they still live in the same house. So it's on this kitchen floor, just dance, like basically trying to break dance to Michael Jackson with my brothers. Um, so yeah, my, my parents, they did, I mean, they did listen to a fair amount of music, but not like a huge wide array of, of, of genre, genres and, and artists, but probably just because we love Michael Jackson, they just played Michael Jackson. So yeah, Thriller, Bad, um, Dangerous, probably those three records, especially, we just rinse nonstop. And my brother was called Michael, so he got to be Michael Jackson. <laughs> And I got to be Michael Jackson's fictional brother, yeah. Robert Jackson, who doesn't exist, but uh, was another member of the Jackson Five. Um, and yeah, we just, we'd know all the words, like we'd come up with dance routines and and sort of, you know, you know, just jam out to that, rock out. And I think, you know, Michael Jackson had quite, a, obviously like such an array of uh, styles mm. under his belt. And, you know, he had, you know, it was that, you know, just incredible pop music. Um, but he went down quite a rocky route. So I think that, you know, with those albums, um, especially kind of bad and, and dangerous, that probably inspired me maybe subliminally in my first kind of like, oh, guitar music, maybe to a degree. Um, you know, there's that, uh, I think it's a Van Halen solo on one of the songs I can't remember now. Um, and, but then that's still kind of, you know, it's just great pop music, great, uh, you know, R&B, incredible vocals. Um, so that would have been my first love, I think, of something where I kind of, you know, chose and chose to listen to. And I, you know, asked my parents to put it on rather than, say, uh, singing in like a school choir or, you know, doing thing, you know, doing music at school where you're just kind of told what to do. That would probably be my first... Yeah, memory of having a choice of thinking, oh, this is what I yeah. like, you know, out of all the things that you could be listening to that you, you know, nag your parents to put on on the radio. That was what, what I chose. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that. I'd say I've got this other early memory. Pretty, um, I was actually telling the story to my friend the other day. So the first CD I ever got as an actual um yeah, CD that like I remember one Christmas getting in the in the on Christmas Day was um, Oasis, um, which would have been what's the story Morning Glory and um, getting my dad to like take it back to the shops because I wanted Spice Girls <laughs> <laughs> and just being not interested. Um, then fast forward like a couple of months. Um, hearing Wonderwall a load of times being like, nah, I want the CD. And I remember having this, like this, like I couldn't even say it was a dream. I'm sure it was just this memory of just, I guess like this, uh, this vision of me as like, you know, a probably four year old, five year old kid thinking, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to get up in front of my class and play Wonderwall in front of all the other kids? Everyone would mm. love me. I remember having that, 
that that memory thinking that would be sick like obviously and at my school you kind of you know you sang like a hymn i guess in in uh at the start of the day sometimes um so that's probably my own experience of singing out loud but then singing wonderwall in my room at home thinking this is awesome you know wouldn't that be cool that's probably my first memory of ever feeling like the want to get up in front of people and perform um and then you know then fast forward a load of years where i was singing in school choirs i was in like my school orchestra i played the cello um you know played like recorder and all those things you do at school but yeah fast forward a load of years uh i guess like you know discovering yeah probably the same sort of time you you love blink you know i you know i was into blink um you know all those bands when you first like discover rock yeah. music and it's like you know you like blink 182 metallica rage against the machine you just find out who the biggest yeah. bands are um you know forgetting kind of subgenres within music um chili peppers you know whoever's like accessible and oh that you know iron maiden bands like that and uh, you know nirvana of course and just yeah picking up the drums and that was like i guess my discovery of like heavy music and just enjoyed thrashing about on that and then by accident sort of ended up singing for don broco um which was you know a different uh you know very different uh enterprise back then just like you know a bunch of mates at school but um yeah simon matt and uh, our old bassist luke you know they'd meet up at break times and after school and and practice with my other friend doug and yeah one day i just went to a practice and sort of did some custom percussion and did some backing vocals um and our other mate doug ended up leaving the band and i just kind of you know just slipped into to lead vocals and that's really it kind of what you know happened just as a uh you know just a fun school thing to do um we must have been like probably did, doing our GCSEs maybe a year before that um and yeah it's just a fun thing we did at break time and, and at the weekends you'd meet up and and jam and eventually you know we booked some gigs but yeah it, i guess it was never something that i set out to do where i was like right i'm gonna be yeah. in a band this is what i'm doing it's just you know you, you discover that love of music you do it as a hobby and just something to to do to hang out with your friends yeah and um and it kind of snowballed from there i guess mm. yeah and it's it seems to be the case with most bands bar the exceptions that like your teenagers or school schoolboy friends and that was kind of the case with your band but one thing as i was doing my research or even over the years is that i always am fascinated with it's like i had the bowling for soup lead singer on several about two years ago now and he talked about the origin of their name and your name it seemed to have taken a few formats and then there's some untold story i couldn't find why it's the case but the band name you have now is based upon some sort of football injury or is that wrong no that's correct yeah um we were struggling for a name for so long we had a few different um iterations and, and band names and the one we we kind of liked the most that was that stuck for a few years was club sex um and that well had its own story we were just on a lads holiday and there was this club called club sex in cavos um and we just thought it was just the stupidest like you know 
most obvious like what name can we call a club that's going to get like <laughs> idiots to come club yeah. sex cool um, so it was just an in joke amongst us and we really liked that name and we kind of wanted it um, but we started writing songs that were a little more I guess emotional in nature and it, it just didn't feel no. right you know even back then when we weren't taking things that seriously you know you can be like heavy metal band would work like anything heavy or pumping or you know electronic um it kind of feels right but as soon as you kind of bring yeah a more sort of emotional guitar um yeah any song within that realm it just felt yeah weird so we want to change the name um and we were going through so many i think because we liked club sex so much it was really hard to to kind of top that and find something that felt um as you know as almost attention grabbing but original um and there was yeah basically we had a name don loco that are um i can't remember how we came across it but like our mates in in bedford we used to call each other don you know you just go through for some reason there was just like a year where everyone was like yeah yeah don and like (laughs) for some reason that was that was part of our our lingo for a while so we had that somehow someone thought of Don Loco, but it just sounded a bit like the translations, Mr. Crazy in Spanish. And that's again, didn't feel quite right. So we kind of forgot about it. Oh yeah. There was a German rapper who also already <laughs> had that name um, when we Google searched it. So yeah, we were kind of at the end of our tether and the promoter, we had a show booked and the promoter was like, I need to put something down. Just give me a name. Uh, and we were playing five-a-side football, and Simon, our guitarist, got sly tackled, broke his wrist. We had to pull out of the show, um, which we were kind of bummed about, and then he came in one day to work, and just as a, not even as a joke, I wouldn't know why, but, you know, I sometimes just say things that I think. (laughs) It was a a bad joke. I just said, oh, it's Don Broco. And we kind of looked across at each other, and we were like, yeah maybe that'll do like it, it kind of we were we'd been through so many months of trying to think of it we were just kind of bored of thinking of a name by then we wanted to to get started get going actually do things that that bands do and, and play shows and books and gigs um so it was really like yeah we were just sort of completely exhausted of trying to think of uh, a decent name um so yeah i I kind of sometimes I think back and I'm like, man, I just wish we'd tried a little <laughs> bit harder because it's it's a weird one. Like, like, you know, there are there are definitely like downsides to it. You know, no one knows how to pronounce it. It's is it Don Broco? Is it Don Broco? Uh, a lot of people add an N in there, so it's Don Bronco. I used to be one of the N guys um, at the start. Yeah, one of the N guys. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a lot of Americans are N guys as well because I think Bronco obviously is like a, a more widely used word out there. So you get a lot of Broncos in and uh, Bron- Don Bronco fans in the states. Um, but then the plus side is like it's kind of you know it, there's no other name kind of quite like it. It doesn't doesn't give you any um, you know preconceptions listening to the band name, which I think. You know, that's, that's the problem. A lot of, you know, there was like that phase where everyone was like the something. Yeah. Um, and immediately it's like, oh, you're you're an indie band or, um, you know, so many bands. You know, there was, I guess, after Blink as well, there were so many bands with numbers in their name. Um, 
And then you think, yeah, you just relate, you know, similar sounding names to bands you've heard before. Um, so it's nice, you know, coming in fresh from that perspective, but I kind of wish it was a bit easier for people to say, I'm not alive. Yeah. Well, like it is what it is. Everyone who I speak to that's in the industry, they always have similar feelings about their name. They're like, oh, I wish we came up mm. with this and that, but seems that most interview questions around names of even some of the biggest bands they're kind of ashamed of the band name and now it's just yeah. it's just <laughs> such a generic thing that like you kind of just go to bed at night and accept it um but yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. weird because like even before say that mad cool show months before i was like oh don bronco are playing and it wasn't until my friend was like it's it's Broco, you idiot. And I was like, oh, it actually is, yeah. I've been misquoting the band uh, that I've been trying to get you to to come see. So uh, it was a humble learning experience on my behalf, so I'll hold my hand up for that. With regards to the band, Don Broco, not Bronco, The it's been now like, what is it, 11, 12 years since your first proper album, and you've gone on to you know release four albums. But at the at the very start when say before priorities was coming out and before like you went on to do technology and other other releases like when i look at your band one of the great things like looking back at it now four albums on is the diversity of it and you've kind of alluded to it even with the name where i kind of nearly look at you somewhat of a you know, there's a little bit of blink in you, but there's also like that heavy side. So nearly like someone like Limp Biscuit who can play behind blue eyes and have people with their phones out with the flashlight on. And then, a you know, a song later, they could be singing about God knows what. So that kind of yeah, that yeah. heavy side, that joking side, that in-between side, was that something that you were always, like always had in your locker? Because even now, like... I could have my be in the car and play some of your music and I could hear something like a, a Bruce Willis, which is a bit more lighthearted on the, on the surface anyway, compared to something like a one true Prince that personally I think is quite a, a deep, meaningful song. But at, at the early stages, was that always your intention to be a, like nearly a hybrid, like sound heavy, but also have the, the fun natured songs, but then also writing songs that are capable of, you know, making people think, yeah, I think it was something definitely at the start we never thought about. You know, I don't think um, probably with uh, I can definitely say we never thought that hard about it um, pre priorities um, and probably even on priorities. But I think it was something we kind of realized we were doing naturally just as, you know, even if you listen back to our like early, early EPs, there was still that that kind of diversity between them um you know one of our first uh songs that we were the first yeah i guess it was one of the first three two or three songs we wrote um thug workout which is as uh you know a kind of fan favorite because it's got this uh you know kind of terrible like low budget video that we filmed but it would kind of became uh, a real kind of uh, launch pad for people getting into yeah. a band on the early days but like the EP that that was on like the two songs that that kind of sandwiched it sounded nothing like that song um, and even within that song it kind of you know takes a few different routes and that was you know we weren't thinking 
at all back then. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was literally just coming out with, you know, what, what made us feel good. Um, and, you know, I think because we listen to so much music and we like so many different bands and we're not like, you know, we're not super fans of any one particular genre. You know, we're, we're, we're music fans, we're rock music fans, whether it's, you know, kind of heavy metal, like, you know, the new metal sound that we grew up, grew up on pop punk, like going back, you know, to like nineties grunge and, you know, eighties as well, you know, all, you know, we've, we listen to everything. So that, I think that was all, always going to come out in our music, even without us kind of thinking about it um, too much. And I think just the nature of being like, I find it quite strange um, when people do expect like, uh, you know, artists and acts to sort of, uh, you know, do one yeah. thing. And there aren't many big acts that do, you know, even when you think of um, say Blink, for example, if you're taking them, you know, they're known for like probably their more, um, yeah, upbeat kind of silly, I don't know, like less, um, yeah, kind of the, the less deepest, you know, like what their biggest hits, I guess, like what's my age again? All um, the small things, stuff like that. All the small things, yeah. But even on that record, they had like Adam's song and, you know, they, they kind of did talk about other, you know, deeper things. Um, and then as their albums have progressed, you know, when they came back with their self-titled, they really kind of went down yeah. that route even more and kind of, show the world that, you know, they can, they can, they can do both. Um, and I think, um, I guess bands that don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. You either, you either go down that route where you're just that band, but you know, most bands will end up, you know, you, you get so bored just doing that all the time. I think a band that we all kind of loved, that really straddled that well was Foo Fighters who could like, you know, have some, um, quite like fun music videos and had that sense of like, you know, uh, that sense of kind of exploration and anything goes and it's kind of crazy and, and wacky sometimes, but you, you knew the songs were always like, you know, they, they were serious musicians and just incredibly well-written songs. Um, and while you might have a few lyrics here that sound of like, you're like, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit weird. And that kind of makes you smile. Like you've got those other songs that really kind of hit, hit hard and are, are way more heartfelt. So I think, yeah, for me, it like, yeah, I think we'll always do both because like, that's who we are as people, you know, life isn't always, um, life isn't always like super serious and, and, uh, depressing all the time but it but it certainly is so you need to you need to write about that now and then and get those feelings out and it's a really you know it's a it's a great way of dealing with um you know shitty things that come mm. up in life for me anyway personally but at the same time like life life can be super fun so why would you hold yourself back to just being writing those deep deep songs all the time because when you think about like you know your 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 your, your day your week like you need that that's that's the variety of your you know variety of your day that's the variety you need in your life so um i think as album to album goes there might be you know times we lean into a certain side or or, or theme more but i think it's just within us to sort of mix it up every time yeah 
But I, I think it's the right way to do it. And that's kind of where the, the bands I gravitate towards to are definitely of that ilk where, as you said, say someone like Foo Fighters, where they could have an absolutely ludicrous video uh, as if they're like 10-year-olds in Montessori. But mm. then they could be actually singing yeah, about yeah. something serious or else their next song could be something quite thought-provoking yeah. and deep. But I like that contrast as well when you do have something on the whether it's a music video or even just the music or the melody, something that's like quite fun and, you know, it, it just seems super lighthearted, but then you scratch the surface and it is a little bit deeper. Like I always get a kick out of those songs, yeah. you know, as a, as a listener, when you, you hear something and you understand it on another level once you get into the lyrics. Um, so yeah, we do, again, we do that occasionally. Sometimes we'll just have a video that doesn't make mm. any sense. Uh, but, is is somehow you know suits the song um and then you almost get three levels of enjoyment you're like if you're watching a video for the first time you'll just be taking in these images like what the hell is going on that was a trip then maybe the second time you'll actually get the song and then maybe it will take five or six listens before you actually like digest the lyrics and and think oh okay now now i completely get the whole picture so um yeah we always like doing that if we can yeah. I think what is it? Outcast Hey uh, is like a pretty dark song, but like when it comes on yeah. in, in a club setting or at a wedding, everyone's having the absolute best time of their lives. So something like yeah. that's probably a good example. Yeah. And with say with the the band itself, now like it it seems like every three years is kind of where your album releases tend to be thus far anyway. But within those releases there's different expectations like as i said say when you were playing that show in mad cool compared to where you are now you're nearly a, a different band just in maybe the expectations you'd have over yourselves having you know had some big shows you didn't have papa roach supporting you for a few shows as well and as you said heading over to the u.s as well but as you progress and get exposed to a lot more i don't know perceived success like how or has that affected your creative process? Because I remember speaking to your man, Jared from Bowling for Soup. He said, once they released girl, all the bad guys want that just changed everything because the labor pressure was a bit more intense. They were, they wanted singles, stuff like that. So have you found with your success over the last several years, slowly growing, has that put more pressure on you as a band or are you still one of those bands that's just like you know what we are what we are as you've just said in your last answer we'll have a bit of fun we'll be serious when we need to be or are you finding now that the gears start getting motor and that you're kind of having to adapt to maybe exterior expectations of your band yeah I, it's definitely i mean we definitely noticed that after um i guess the first time we ever had that external pressure from uh, a record label was, um, I guess, like our probably our one of our kind of biggest singles we ever had that kind of took the band up to another level was uh, our song "You Want to Know" that yeah, was released that like in between album, but in between priorities and automatic, and like you know, as a you know, that was back in the day where. Uh, you know, before streams um, were so dominant, mm. you know, which is even crazy to think that it was, it was, you know, that long ago, you know, you could get a single 
a single release that would chart in like the UK chart. Um, and it actually, you know, I remember like, you know, it charted in the top 40 and we were there like, you know, listening to the, the, the countdown. I think it was on a Sunday back then on Radio 1 being like, this is crazy. And it, it was the first time, um, the first, first time I guess we'd ever seen what like one song could do, you know, because, um, yeah, only having released priorities before that was like our kind of introduction to, you know, to, I guess the, I wouldn't say the mainstream rock, uh, scene, but, you know, having a bit of backing and new people discovering you, uh, slightly easier than just like purely just word of mouth and us, um, you know, just driving up and down the country playing, you know, anywhere we could, we actually had a label putting it out and, and a support system around it. So to have then you want to know do well as a as a single as a as a random sort of in between song and take us to a whole another level on a touring uh, perspective, I guess we were like we probably should have known that that would have brought its own mm. pressures um, from the record label and I guess from ourselves as well because you know you think wow what did we do to uh, you know, to, to, to get this song, like, how can we emulate that? And, you know, that was just a song we wrote that we, again, we weren't really thinking too much about. It was just another, uh, evolution of, of our sound. Um, and yeah, then you start getting sort of, you know, label people mentioning sometimes subtly and not so, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, not subtly at all. Um, yeah. Right. Another, you want to know, right. Um, write an album of you want to know you know, it was one thing, you know, we were, we were asked to do, which kind of, yeah, always feels really weird and not good. Mm. Like, you know, and we still sometimes do not, you want to know, but sometimes we do go down a route of, oh, okay, let's try and write a song like this because this was fun or this did well. And it never yields results. Like, I think it just takes, for me anyway, it takes, it really takes the fun out of it. I mean, there's a song on, um, so we had this kind of, you want to know chat from our record label at the time, um, who was Sony that, who did, uh, the first two records and even, uh, our last record label, Sharp Tone Records as well from the States who they released, um, re-released automatic in America, like a few years later. Uh, and you want to know was like bundled up a part of that. And honestly, like is the one thing we had constantly, like even writing amazing things. It was like, because that was a song that a lot of people liked. It's kind of quite an easy mm. listening rock song in a way. It's, it kind of treads that, that middle route ground, which is just, you know, nothing we planned. It's just the way it turned out. It's like kind of heavy enough that, people who like heavy rock music would like it, but it's probably pop enough that people who like pop music would like yeah. it. Um, so we've, we've honestly, since that, that's been the song that is, keeps getting referenced by every, every record label now. Um, and it is a great song. I love it. But yeah, while we were trying, if you, when, when we actually tried to write a load of songs like that, like one of them ended up on, um, automatic a song called let you get away. Um, and it's, if you listen to the, like the choruses, they're kind of similar kind of uh, musically, not really vocally, but it kind of just feels like a, 
to us it kind of feels like a, you want to know light yeah. and i think because straight away to us we knew we were like mm, it's still a good song but it doesn't feel like it's moving anything forward for us yeah it then doesn't kind of hold as much weight with us in the band so you know you don't care about it as much so yeah i think it's something that's probably gonna you know it probably happens, you know, every time you get a bit of luck and, and a certain song goes, uh, you know, a song does well or an album does well, people are going to want you to do more of that, whether that's coming from like the financial side, from a record label, or maybe even from fans because they think, oh, I like this, I'm, I'm accustomed to this. But definitely for us, it's like, it, it sucks the fun out of being creative. Um, so I think we probably you know i'm sure we will end up writing songs that reference our older songs because uh you naturally we do naturally do that you know that's uh it's definitely a thing um it's like the easy route and we've got like a whole back catalog of songs and albums that sound like our previous records but they just don't get our juices going yeah. because it feels like you know well-trodden ground um i'm sure if we wrote like in a banger I like to think if we wrote some an absolute banger that was that still sounded exactly like an old one, I'd like to think we'd have the common sense enough to be like, okay, well, this is just a tune. We're gonna, you know, it's, it's a good enough tune that we're stoked with it that we're gonna put it out. But I think the bar has to be is set for that sort of style song. It's now set so high within ourselves. It's got to be a you know like a purple rain yeah. or something. <laughs> it's, a, it's got to be that good for us to be like, okay, it's worth doing a, you want to know Mark too, you know, if, if it's yeah. that good. Um, it's, I, I think it's something that as fans, I, I can't really relate to it. Like I do even remember when I was in, in my band for a couple of years where like we wrote, I'd say, but over 50 songs and there were times where you were like, this sounds a bit like that one. And, as you said, you can go two ways with it. You can just nearly say it's related to that song. And as you said, that nearly sucks some of the life out of the song or else you can just be like, this is it on its own. But it can sometimes be hard to differentiate or separate the two. But with with your band, one thing I, I, I loved seeing, like one of the reasons I wanted to see you live and don't take this as an insult at all, I just wanted to be like, can they replicate the sound because you've got obviously you on vocals you've got a bass player guitar player and a drummer who can also sing as well which is obnoxiously hard but credit to him that's a, that's a different podcast in itself but anyway yeah. i was i was intrigued just with you know one guitar <clears throat> just basically one of each it's like your sound can be so heavy like so heavy and that i mean that in a good way but sometimes you see in the live setting where maybe if there's backing tracks or I know Green Day had to get in a second guitarist to really actually create that volume. So like when you write, just to get us maybe a bit of an insight into the creative process of it, because now with Pro Tools and all the recording equipment you can have, you can make it sound like there's 20 people playing instruments and you can layer six vocal tracks and have everything perfect, which most bands rightfully do. But do you think now especially in music now where like the live tour and the live show is it's basically the the breadwinner like that's where most of the the bands make their money now do you cautiously 
like write music or maybe not cautiously, but like when you write music, are you thinking this is going to sound really good live and maybe more importantly, we can absolutely like smash this live or do you not, you just think this is a good song. We'll deal with it on the live set if we need to. Yeah. Usually it's anything goes in the studio um, within a few parameters, <laughs> like, um, you know, obviously all the drums are played for real so matt has to be able to play everything uh drum wise his issue is then how does yeah. he sing on top of that uh which yeah is would probably need its own <laughs> podcast because you know some you know some of the i mean it's we're not you know we're not a, a massively complicated band there are s- sections where they're a little more technical but like overall as we sort of grown as a band as well you know we've we've kind of realized that like for stuff to hit the hardest and to sound the best, you know, so often like the simplest thing is the best. We'll just lock in one groove, usually choose one or two grooves for the, for a chorus or a song. And that is the motive. So it's nothing, you know, overly technical. Um, it's more than once, like we've got it recorded. Matt has to figure out how to, you know, separate his body from his <laughs> yeah. brain and do that. So that can cause some issues for Matt. And he's also like a real perfectionist. So Matt always wants to play whatever he's recorded. Cause you know, the reason he's chosen that fill or, or, you know, we've, we've, we've written that part is cause we think it's, it's sick. So you, you want to do that, but at the same time, you can't always sing you know, the vocals are the most important thing. And a lot of the time when he's taking the lead, you can't do as complicated a fill over something. So we try and reassure him. We're like, honestly, you're at a show, you're feeling the vibe. People are rocking out in the pit. Just do what feels good. You know, people aren't uh, meticulously scanning Mm. every, well, most people aren't meticulously scanning every note, every hit. Um, when it comes to Psy, he's like very, you know, he's a really proud one guitar, um, you know, guitarist, yeah, lead guitarist. I get that vibe. He's a really proud one guitar. I get that vibe. <laughs> he's so, so we, so while he'll like, you know, multi-track guitars in the sense of getting, you know, um, different tones in and, and, you know, filling out the sound, you know, he's very adamant. I think we've, we've never done it on a song where if he can't play both parts at the same time, they don't go on. So, you know, a lot of his favorite guitarists, you know, I think Incubus are probably one of his favorite bands. Um, yeah. Probably his favorite band of all time. Um, and Mike Einziger, the guitarist, he was like, you know, you know, super famous and, and Rage as well. I guess Rage is, a, Tom Rell is a huge influence on Cy as well. Like, you know, they're guitarists who don't need a rhythm guitarist to keep anything going, you know, that is the part. So we've never done that. Those, I guess the, that's the, probably the only rule we actually have when, when we record. Um, and yeah, and then everything else we kind of figure out. I mean, yeah, we, we love bringing our when we can our keyboard player um because he can play a lot of the the synth because you know you write all these you know synth parts and layers and things like that and unless you're like literally carting around like you know 20 musicians yeah. and all the stuff you know and you know some of it's if you want it to sound like the record you have to have a few things on track but there's like there's a magic to having the lead parts for example played 
live on a keyboard um you know having if you've got any three-part harmonies or extra vocals we love having our keyboard player there to come in and, and sing those as well you know we never would put uh, you know, lead vocals or, or backing vocals on track because that kind of feels weird. If it's, we've kind of got a rule, like if it's weird enough and electronic enough that, you know, um, people aren't going to notice, then then we, we play with it. But yeah, we try not to put anything, you know, obvious and leady on, on, on track, even though a lot of bands do. But I think it kind of ruins the... I think it takes you out of the moment there we're not when i see a band and they've got you know their lead singer smashing it even they're doing an incredible job but you've got this other like perfect harmony and you're looking around like oh no one's doing that it kind of it diminishes the the live talent of the people who are actually playing there and doing their thing so we try and minimize that as much as possible um yeah and yeah i think for almost sometimes like less is more as well you just have like a couple of things going you know, you see some bands who don't play with any tracks, you know, some of the older bands, and they, you don't miss it, if you know what I mean. You see it because they didn't write with them as well. You see them live, and it just sounds, you know, awesome. Almost the, the less you have, the, the bigger it sounds if you've got a good sound guy. Yeah. Well, sound guys do help. There are some bad ones out there, as yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> People who scan through YouTube will yeah. find out in a, in a hurry. But no, that that is interesting with regards to kind of simplifying it and even the stuff on the backing tracks. I completely agree. I remember at that same festival, Mad Cool uh, in Cuba's were actually brilliant. I watched the tail end of their set, but I think it was for like two or three Pixie songs during like some of their bridges, they didn't sing the, the lyrics and you could actually just faintly hear the actual kind of back and track lyrics being played and i remember at that specific moment mm. i was like oh i'm now like i'm divorced from the moment because i'm like what why is that playing yeah. so it is it's very fair comment and i would agree with you on that and with regards to the i suppose yeah as you said in the next week or so you are going on tour but like the the live show is what fascinates me about most bands and kind of the longevity as well of bands that can do that with yourself being a lead singer again like your voice the the register you have you can it reminds me a bit of your man brendan Uri from panic at the disco the lead singer there where you can go oh, so yeah, so high at times and so low they're kind of like Whoa, real like powerful mm. weird low that only very few vocalists can get to and you kind of have that um I, I like to say I have the low. I don't think. I well, have like, the high. yeah, his 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 high high is like, yeah, it's it's on it's on Crazy, the moon. Yeah. But the as I what basically was saying is that like you do have a a big enough canvas there to work, and it's not just kind of like a a monotone mm. pace that a lot of maybe punk rock or pop rock singers have. So with that diversity, do you do you find like as a as a lead singer? do you find that quite challenging to like, especially on a tour where you might be gone for months and months or maybe some of your festival appearances in front of, you know, 60 plus thousand people. Is that something that like you find quite pressurizing the fact that like, yes, we've got great musicianship around me. We can put on a good show, but like as a lead singer, 
if you're slightly off, like you only need to look at like a, a Guns N' Roses, a Glastonbury type thing where everyone loves the band, mm. loves the nostalgia, but there's obviously going to be a lot of people unhappy with the sound of the vocals, which in this case, it's obviously due to age and wear and tear. But in your case, mm. do you put like a, a big amount of kind of responsibility and pressure on your shoulders to be able to perform throughout even a whole tour so that you don't let anyone down? I mean... I mean, I should. I, what I really should do is do more preparation before the festivals. I'll be honest, because tour, yes, you lose your voice sometimes, and um, it's definitely taken me. You know, it's taken me. You know, a few years to really work out the limitations of my voice and how far I can push it and how relaxed I can be, you know, in between shows and you learn little tricks and, you know, obvious things like, you know, not shouting after a show and not like, you know, going out to loud clubs and things like that, where you're like shouting over people. Yeah. And those are things that usually damage it. You know, once you've got the show down, I'm normally pretty good on a tour unless I get, unless you get ill and then you've got a cold or flu and that just ruins it. Like that happened, uh, our last European tour and just one show just, nothing came out and I was like what can you do you can't do anything about it. you practice you, you get great and the tour's going well and then you catch the flu and you know you can't help that the thing yeah I guess the thing for me that I've learned is once I get going especially like a week or two my voice kind of levels out and you know it doesn't really matter how long the tour is as long as you're on top of your your kind of care and your your rest and you're sleeping a lot, I'm good. The festivals are the ones where I panic because a lot of the time they're just a, it's like a random summer festival when you're not on tour um, or it's the start of a, um, the start of a tour. A lot of the time, you know, you'll do a festival maybe like a couple of days um, before a tour begins, uh, especially like if you're flying out to another country, you'll, you'll kind of, you know, bundle in a, a festival before the tour goes. Um, and that's a massive one for me because it, it usually takes me at least three or four kind of shows to get up to my sort of comfort, comfort level. So, you know, you'll go in sometimes completely dry to a festival and it's never the same, like, obviously practicing does help like, you know, uh, in the practice room, but it's, it just, I don't know. There's just something about being on stage, probably adrenaline's going, you're pushing harder. Um, you're going for stuff more. You're, you know, you're jumping around it just like, that's what really kind of stretches you, your, your vocal cords out to, to hit a point to be like, you know, decent show ready. So festivals, I get super nervous sometimes because I know I'm not at that point yet. And there's, you know, there's like a, a, a difficult, there's like that one high yeah. note in the song coming and you're like, oh, yeah. another week and I'll be okay at this, but um, maybe not, maybe not now. Um, so that's something I don't, I'd like to say I'm going to get better at, but the reality of it is you have to be like screaming your head off, like for a week before building up, you know, it's a muscle. So you'd have to be building up and you're, you're at home, you're getting ready for a tour. You're not taking like, you know, realistically, I'm not taking out like a couple of hours, you know, of the yeah. day to go to a practice room by myself to like be 
you know, screwing my head off. Like I'd love to have that dedication, but I just yeah. don't. <laughs> so that's the danger. And, you know, there are, there have been one or two higher profile, you know, festivals probably where you think, oh man, like, you know, if this only could have been at the end of the tour and, uh, and it would have just been that extra, extra level up for me personally. Um, cause we've done some festivals where they've come at the end and you just feel, honestly, you like the best feeling mm. ever. Cause you know, when you haven't, you know, seen, seen the boys for a while, you're not used to like that setup. We actually did it this before the U S tour. The first show was a, was a festival. Um, and you know, you, you're unpacking your gear, your gear's just been flown over from the UK. You don't even know if it's all there. You're frantically yeah. unpacking it, trying to get ready. Um, every, you know, it just takes a while to get into that rhythm. Um, I remember the end of, it must've been, uh, not the last slam dunk we, we did the slam dunk before. So it must've been, uh, yeah, a couple of years ago now. The end Shikari were headlining it and we, we were maybe like main support. We just released our song pretty and toured the, the States. Um, it was our first tour of the States. Actually, that was it. Uh, and we came back after like six weeks, like so tight, so ready, you know, you've got everything dialed in. And I think the slam, the slam dunk that year worked out like a year, maybe like a week, sorry after we came back. So it was like the perfect time to just get a little bit of rest, but you're still like yeah. tour tight and it just felt so good. I think that's like the best festival show we've ever, you know, felt going into one where you're just, you know, completely on your game, but you can't always plan, plan for that. So Fair. it sounds like Premier League, Premier League managers talking about match sharpness or players being a hundred percent fit in the music yeah, terminology. Yeah. And yeah. And with, with say festivals now, you've you've done your fair share internationally now, and you've been, I'm sure you've been the tiny little writing at some stage down towards the bottom, and now your your font's getting bigger and bigger as the years go by. With festivals, I always look at it and I'm like, I wonder if like there is much interaction between bands, or is it kind of like the first day of school where you kind of know of people, but you just kind of have your own stuff to do and own shows to do. Do you get the opportunities? I, I presume you obviously watch bands you love, but like, have there been an interaction with another band or a lead singer at some stage where you've nearly used it like, I don't know, like a, a golfer on tour going up to Tiger Woods and asking him a question. Like, have you ever got an insight in the last like several years from festivals or is it strictly, I'm just going to have a beer, chill out and watch say Incubus play their last few songs. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you tend to sort of, uh, I mean, I, it's always nice playing festivals where you, you've got a couple of mates on the bill. Cause you know, then you end up t tending to, hang out together. It's a bit of a reunion. You have a few beers backstage. Um, but there is that excitement as well. Definitely. You know, I never try and punish my favorite bands too much, but there is that extra excitement when you're playing a festival with a load of, uh, you know, with the headliner you, you, you love or a load of sort of other artists you're, you're into. There always is that excitement. Like who do you bump into backstage? You know, you go go and say hi and there's that that, that nervousness mm. of like that you don't really get anymore where you're like are they going to think i'm weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you know, that no one really ever does. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, probably one of the funniest ones was like meeting Fred Durst um, for the first time. Um, and yeah, they were playing Reading. Uh, I think it was the same tent we were, maybe, or maybe we were a different stage. But I oh, know we were in the same. We were both doing. Um, I think it was the it was either the Festival Republic stage or the Radio One Ten, and we were all camped out in the same sort of area. Um, and yeah, went to the toilet, and Fred Durst basically went to the urinal and like was having a wee, and then realised it was Fred Durst next to me having a piss at the same time and having that like in, in a monologue thinking, Oh, like, I don't really want to, I wouldn't really want someone talking to me while I'm yeah. having a piss. You're doing your thing. <laughs> yeah. But, I, but I was like, fuck it's Fred Durst. I'm a huge biscuit fan. So I had to just chat to him. So yeah, while we were having our, our weed, I was like, Hey, <laughs> Hey Fred. <laughs> um, yeah. I was just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a really big fan looking forward to the set. And I didn't, I ended up, I don't think I even like, told him i was in a band but i was just like this guy's a legend i've just got to talk to him here and he was like cool man you know not really like engaging just wanted <laughs> to get on with his piss and get gone um and then later that day um i found my mum and she like befriended they their ba- their actual the their normal basis couldn't make that um shows so they had a touring basis for their summer festivals my mum had somehow befriended their, their bassist and was like hanging out with them. As most moms end up doing, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. And yeah, he was like, yeah, your mum's really nice. She was just, you know, she it was one of the first festivals I think we'd, remember the first few times we'd done Reading and she was stoked to sort of be there and be backstage. Um, so that was kind of funny. And then, yeah, a few, yeah, a few other times. Normally I just sort of, if there's someone I love, then I'll go over and say hi because I feel you kind of, I feel you've got to like engage with those sort of exciting moments where you feel like a kid again and you're like, you know, wowed by, you know, um, I wouldn't say it's like, uh, you know, the, the, I guess the veil of like the glamour and the, uh, the excitement of being backstage is probably gone because we've, you realize how disorganized and like kind of bad it is most of the time. Um, but yeah, there's still there's still a magic of like meeting, you know, your favorite artists who you've been jamming their songs to since you were since you were a kid. So, and you always regret it if you don't. Yeah. Like I remember being behind um, the drummer um, from System of a Down, a European festival, and we were just waiting for our catering, like with our trays. So I was like behind him for ages in the queue, and for some reason I didn't say hi. And like the whole rest, you know, I'm still here. You are now, still thinking about it. Like, you know, I, I, I love System of a Down. They're probably, probably my favorite band. And why didn't I just say, hi, I love your music. Like that's all I, all I needed to do. And I wouldn't be living in this regret. <laughs> <laughs> Eating away at you. I'm now bringing you up on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, well, one of the, the last things I want to chat about with you rob is the it's kind of the, the 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 changes in music and you've kind of come at it at an interesting time where it was the cd era it was as you said releasing singles that if you've a good video on mtv2 or 
Kerrang, that's our, I think it was Skulls was the heavier one. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Skulls, Skulls. Yeah, yeah. That like was your, your window into fans' kind of eyes and ears. And now, as you said, streaming is a big thing. There's been a lot of stuff written online about like if actors are getting all these strikes with the riders for equal pay. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't see a clip of like, oh, this should be better or stream and doing X and Y. In your eyes, like, because you've now seen, I'm sure, the grinding, sticking in a van, sleeping with someone's toes in your face and like there's great stuff to that. But then now you've probably worked your way up to where, you know, you have your own dressing rooms. You might even have your own catering. You might have your own plan a to b whatever it may be and as i said the bigger bigger fonts when it comes to the festivals but do you think music as you've grown grown up and gradually got more successful within it you think it's in a good place or do you still feel that maybe the the album side of things or the label or even the streaming side of things needs to be worked on or is it just a case of this is it got to make the most of it and kind of accept it and go on yeah, no, I definitely think there's there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, you know, I think the great thing the great thing about streaming and the internet in general, you know, um, but streaming has helped that too. Is it, you know, it gives artists a chance to, it gives you that kind of punt where you might not, um, you know, you might not have that that support yet, but by having your music in a really easy way for people to discover it and, and hear it and get a bit of luck on a, on a playlist or something like that, you know, that's, I think it is a positive, you know, because the, uh, the chance to sort of make it, you know, uh, not even big time, but, you know, to turn your hobby or turn your passion into something you could actually, do as a as a job and get paid for you know that was so much harder you know 20 20 30 years ago um and obviously the internet enabled that through social media and streaming i think obviously helped with that too um but yeah i do think i mean the, the crazy thing that i just think's mad for uh record label the record labels don't do is just uh is like accounting i think it's crazy that um bands uh and artists are like very rarely see can see their own accounts within record labels so you might get so many streams and so much and then, you know there's ways of sort of working it out but um that's something that i find kind of quite strange you know you can uh, a label can can spend whatever they will claim to spend whatever they've spent on marketing, but you don't actually get unless they want to show you a rundown mm. of it and be really nice. There's no, um, yeah, transparency within that. Um, so a lot of labels kind of can plead poverty, um, where actually they're doing pretty well and they're making a lot of money out of their artists, um, and the artists don't get really paid that much. You know, which is why it's super exciting when you see artists that aren't with a record label yeah. do well because, you know, the, the, the ones that actually succeed, they're, then, they're actually like, you know, they're banking some serious money because there is 
you know, there is money to be made through music, um, through, through streaming, even if you're not touring. So that's something that I'd like to, I'd like to like see shift because there still definitely is a place for the record label structure. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, it's, it's nice to know that there's professionals that you trust that can work and support and collaborate with artists. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of great ones out there, but I'm, I still feel there's this shadiness amongst it where there's definitely like an old school mentality where it's almost like the labels versus the artists, yeah. you know, in the same way that I think, you know, the right strike felt, felt that way. It's like you've got the big corporations who are, who are funding it all and they're not cutting in uh, the creatives fairly. So I think that's something I'd probably like to see change. And obviously, like, you know, it's it's the artists and the, the musicians and the songwriters who are, who are most of the time putting in that, that hard graph that need to see some sort of return or it's, you know, because you can't just live off the uh, great feeling of I'm a musician. You know, you do you do need to, to get paid, uh, you know, at the end of the day. Um so that's something I think could change. And I think the, I'd love to see the culture change in regards to maybe albums a bit more and, and just general release strategies. Like it's, I saw like a really, it's just a, an interesting, you know, snippet on Instagram pops up the other day of, um, I can't remember if it was Nardwala interviewing Tyler, the creator, but he was just saying, He's just bored of uh oh, running out of battery there. Okay. Um, he's just bored of seeing artists, you know, artists will spend, you know, months, years, you know, writing, creating the visuals, you know, perfecting an album, you know, spending those out countless hours mixing it, putting all this love into creating this 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 art. And then they're expected to like, you know, I think his examples were like, go on hot ones, like eat a load of chicken wings <laughs> or go sneaker shopping. And suddenly they have to sell themselves as a, uh, as a personality or as a, um, you know, as like a, I guess, a, what can we pick to make them do that make them seem interesting and just, you know, keep people engaged when they've only got an attention span of, you know, a couple of seconds while they've spent all this time, like investing in something sort of super important to them, there should be some way of getting that out. And hopefully people still finding that interesting. Um, And I don't know what the answer to that is, because maybe people don't have the attention span these days to, to, to sort of, you know, for someone they haven't discovered or haven't, you know, gotten into yet hearing that, but like, I'll be honest, if I see a random like musician that I, I don't haven't heard yet before and they're doing, I don't know, a game show or they're like, you know, doing a life in the day and it's them showing what they're having for tea. It's like, I don't find that interesting either. So I think there needs to be somehow, a, there must be a better way of like cutting through the noise of, of social media and bring it back to great music and great art and not kind of distilling it with, you know, personality is important. And I think people do need, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, people's favorite artists and singers, you know, they, 
they are fun to watch and they do, you know, they might have a sense of humor in it and it's nice peppering that in. But I think that needs to be stuff around the side and it needs to be more about about the music and about the art. So, yeah, I don't know what the answer is to get that because you're competing with algorithms and, and, you know, who knows what and just so much, um, so much content out there. Um, so, but, you know, you've also got on the flip side, you've got, you know, what we're doing right now, you do have people who are prepared to say, listen to a podcast or, you know, people who do still love watching like three hour movies and actually getting into it and investing yeah. themselves in, uh, and giving, giving themselves that time to sort of go a little bit deeper. So that is there. It would just be nice if there was maybe a, a bit, a few more outlets for that, I think. Yeah. No, well said. As long as I don't see Rob on hot ones in six months, I think we're on, we're on the right path. I mean, if I was invited to that, I, I definitely <laughs> yeah. would do it. So I'm, I'm not a good episode. But <laughs> yeah. so just last thing for me, Rob, before I let you go, um, with regards to the band now, Don Broco, you are at a stage now where, as I said, like you've, you can sell out reasonably sized venues in your hometown and you've just done a US tour. And I'm sure once you do this UK cycle and go on to the festivals, you'll be probably thinking next album or something along those lines. And even stuff, I know you've got the release of the Royal Albert Hall coming out, which by the way, I absolutely adore that. Like Nerve was a song I wasn't really into. And then once I heard that at Royal Albert Hall, I was like, that's a banger. And now it's, now oh, it's so now yeah, it's yeah. it's it's on my iPhone. Put it that way. But nice. do you like have any aspirations? Are you like a goal setting band? Or are you very much just four guys enjoying the ride and seeing where it takes it? Uh, yeah, I think you know we've got loose aspirations. You know, I think the loose aspiration is you know we want to keep keep growing as a band, keep playing bigger venues, bigger shows, going to more countries, you know, that as a general, as a general thing, you want to keep moving in the right direction. Um, and to be fair, it's not like I know enough about all the venues all over the, the world that I could say, wouldn't that be great? You know, you've got obvious things like, you know, being, being from near London, you know, you've obviously got these different venues to play, you know, one day, wouldn't it be amazing to play the O2, you know, to, to headline that, that would be insane. Um, and I guess like, you know, you see every band who, who gets massive in America, they play Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Again, that would be cool. But I don't think we're like, it's not the most important thing, you know, to us. It's like, as long as you're moving in the right direction, you're continuing uh, to grow, but you're putting out music, continue to put out music that you, you love and you care about and you think's good. That's the most important thing for us. It's like, you know, it comes down to the music. That's where all the satisfaction comes from for us is, uh, you know, writing an album, our body of work that we think's cool and people, responding to that in a live setting you know that that is completely what it's about for us um you know we've been doing it long enough now that i know that's where i get my where i get my kicks and you know uh hearing 
you know, the impact that, you know, our songs have on people at those shows and, and people having such a good time at those shows, you know, that gives me that satisfaction that, you know, uh, I am also, you know, you feel great. You're giving something back as well. It's, you know, it's one of those, for me, it's, you know, one of the best jobs in the world. You, you're self-satisfied because you're doing something that you love and you're making other people happy, which makes you feel good yeah. about yourself as well. So as long as I can keep doing that, um, and people want to, you know, uh, keep wanting to, to listen to our band and see our band, I think we'll be, we'll be pretty happy with that. But, um, you know, there's definitely like, you know, that, uh, that excitement of, you know, you do move up festival bills and you see yourself, you know, growing in that perspective and, you know, one day headlining a, a festival like Reading and Leeds, something we've been going to, um, you know, for years as, as punters and now, you know, playing all these different stages, work slow, working our way up the festival bill, you know, obviously one day that would be really cool too. Yeah. But, um, I think we kind of learn, we learn from our last, uh, our last album, you know, it was the first record we got, you know, we had a number one album within the UK and while that was great for a week, a couple of weeks, you know, that, that buzz quickly dies off and you realize, you know, it's nice, but it's not the most important thing. It's like, it's the music and the shows for us. Yeah. Oh, well said. <clears throat> well, how I finish my podcast is I just do a few quick fire questions and then I send you on your way. Um, but thanks obviously for answering so honestly. And, you know, I think we've covered quite a lot, but yeah, first things that come to your head, just answer. There's no right or wrong. Well, it's only in, in your perspective if they're right or wrong. So yeah. uh, to start off, what is your favorite film of all time? Um, I think it's too hard to say of all time, but I think uh, definitely a new film that's made it into there is um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um I was thinking about it yesterday. Honestly, I was just randomly thinking about it. Like it's quite rare for like a new film to make it into your collection of just, you know, favorites yeah. over, over how many films you've seen. But I think that is a film that really sums up like a lot of the creative ideas that I try and bring to Don Broco and, and we do as a band. I don't know if there's many other films that capture what, our band is about as much, you know, it's like just insanely creative, just like, you know, it's, it's just super fun. It's got incredible comedic elements. The visuals are just crazy. It's got a, a, an incredibly emotional, uh, you know, story about family and, and love and relationships. It's also touches on like deep philosophical ideas and it's all wrapped up in this, you know, sick martial arts movie that's just like insane from start to end. So like that movie is definitely, you know, like it's definitely got to be up there. If it's not number one, it's, it's, it's close. So yeah, I think that film. It's a good choice. It's a crazy yeah. film, but it's, as you said, it's crazy. It's absolutely enjoyable. What is your favorite bridge or interlude or whatever musical term you want to use and that you've written with Don Broco? Ooh, good question. Um, 
favorite. Yeah, <laughs> you're really like scanning through every I song really ever written now. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, I might have to pass on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Okay. Um, we can move on. Maybe in a few days it might come to you. And you so can... it's, it's probably not my favorite, but... But one one I really like that I think just because it's different from the others is we were talking about you want to know earlier we did uh, a kind of remix of that song um, we when we put we kind of sometimes rework some of our older songs and put them out under call it the club sex mix version of a song um, and we did that for you want to know. And it's kind of just the same middle eight, but just sung slightly differently. And there's a different musical arrangement, just really simple, but really good. Okay. <laughs> and I listen, again, I'd forgotten about that. I can't remember. It might've come up in a playlist or something, or someone was talking about it a couple of weeks ago on tour. And I was like, wow, I haven't listened to that version of that song for ages. I was playing. And then, uh, we were talking about it. I played it. Someone was like, this is a jam. Um, and there's something just really simple about that bridge that I thought was like really cool. Okay. But yeah. What is the worst bit of advice you've received in your line of work? Hmm. Well, I mean, we, we definitely were told to pack it in. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we even got going, um, like a a guy who works in the music industry who was, I guess you could call him like a family friend um, who we were maybe hoping for a bit of advice from. Mm. Uh, his advice was, I don't think this is going to work out. His, his words were, and this was like, he was my like contact. Yeah. He, you know, so this wasn't like, you know, this was a text from him, like not mincing his words. He said, your voice is too ugly for radio. Um, I don't think it's going to work <laughs> out. Um, and to be fair to him, I wouldn't say we've had loads of radio, so maybe he was right. But it wasn't your voice is too ugly for radio. I'd focus on, uh, you know, the internet. I'd focus on really building your uh, your your SoundCloud numbers or something like that. You know, or really focus. You know, it was just kind of. Nah, it's not going to work out. So that was a real horrible bit of advice because I was looking for advice and just got a, a brutal diss. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> um, tough But to luckily take. we ignored him. We ignored him and carried on. And uh, yeah, kind of, it, was not, it was nice to see him a few years later and being like, ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we, we're, still, we're still a man. Yeah, we're still going. <laughs> And second last one, so this is quite a controversial one, not like actually controversial, but a lot of people struggle with the answer. Uh, so what is worse, in your opinion, Hoover in the house, changing the bed sheets, or doing the dishes? I do hate changing the bed sheets, but... I think most. I say Hoovering. Yeah, <laughs> most ma I'd most males pick bed sheets. 
Yeah. And then the hoovering uh, yeah. aspect is just, I always get so sweaty is, doing it and it angers I me. I like a hoover. I actually enjoy a hoover, but I'm, I'm too thorough. <laughs> like if I'm hoovering, I'm going to town. Mm. Like I leave no stone under. I can't do it like a quick yeah. whip around. Like I'm like picking up, I'm moving the furniture. <laughs> I'm going in. So it takes me ages. Um, so yeah, it's such an endeavor. I'd have to go bed sheets. Uh, bed sheets I do hate, yeah. Um, yeah, but I can enjoy a Hoover actually, but I never enjoy doing the bed sheets. So yeah, I'm gonna go bed sheets too. I hate doing the bed sheets. Just so fiddly, you're yeah. around. You it's never, never right. Flat. It's never right. No, it's never right. No. Um, um, no, like, yeah, my missus is never happy with my job as well. I'll, 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 I'll do my thing, and she's like, "I've just got to redo it myself." Yeah, so it's like well, you could have done it. Why don't you do it then? Yeah, just purposely <laughs> do a terrible job, so you just know yeah. it's going to be done better. And last question is, what question? If you could ask yourself one question that I haven't asked you yet, what would it be? got no idea <laughs> yeah it can be absolutely um, anything by the way if i could ask myself any question yeah or a question i'd want you want you to ask yeah you that i haven't me. asked yet but like it, it might not have to come from me could be one one yeah. person asked what's for dinner <laughs> um i'd probably yeah i'd probably ask yeah something i mean Currently, this is my dinner right now, so I haven't got anything. My mum left me out some crunchy nut cornflakes. So the glamour, the glamour. Yeah, I would, I would, I yeah, I'd probably want to know. Yeah, my, I don't know. What's a good one? Favorite, uh, favorite pizza toppings? Because that's that's you get a lot of heat on that if you if you get that wrong and what is your pizza toppings then i obviously have to ask it now well okay again i wouldn't say this is my favorite but i am partial to uh yeah a bit of pineapple and ham so you know i don't mind the hawaiian but when people find out that i'm half italian as well they're like you are disgrace that is disgrace How can you be? It just works, you know. Yeah. Or to be fair, pineapple. It can be pineapple and pepperoni. That's that's good too. Okay. I just think the juiciness, the the yeah the um yeah the moisture it brings and that sort of little little dash of sweet. You just can't go no. wrong. So it is a good combination. Pr- I was recently in Barry yeah. in Italy and I asked, would I like be asked to leave the restaurant if I asked for pineapple? And your man in his broken English was just like, yes. So I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> understood. But um, yeah, no, Rob, that wraps it up. I I do appreciate your time. I know we've we've chatted for quite a while here, but hopefully, uh, the the listeners get something out of it. And I know you've got a busy few weeks ahead. Hopefully, the Christmas kind of come down is relaxing, even though it tends to be heavy, especially for Irish and British people. It tends to always be the case. But I wish you all the best going forward as well. Hopefully, I'll get to see you. I know there's a few of my friends in the UK who will be uh, definitely going to your gigs in the next like two, three weeks, I think it is. But hopefully, maybe on the festival tour, I can mm. uh, get to see you probably 
put too much sun cream on your face again and complain after two songs that yeah, you've, yeah. <laughs> you've over. I, I never learn. No. I never learn when it comes to festivals and putting on the cream. It's just, you just got to avoid the forehead. You got to do everything under the eyes. Cause it's just, yeah, it's, it's, I'm just trying the whole thing. It's set. tough. But, <laughs> but yeah. And then also anyone who listens, by the way, all the socials and information will be, will be below. So if you want to follow Rob or the band or see their latest news, I'll attach all that. So feel free to check them out and yeah, enjoy the music. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks, Rob. Good chatting. <laughs>